Welcome to the Growing Hope podcast. Growing Hope is a charity providing free therapy for children and young people with additional needs and their families in partnership with local churches across the UK. Growing Hope aims to grow hope for children, hope for families and hope in Jesus. This conversational podcast is based on interviews with Growing Hope therapists giving practical tips, strategies and insight into their field of expertise. Hello, welcome back to our Growing Hope podcast. I'm, and you might have noticed a bit of a difference, I'm Naomi, I'm hosting today and the reason I'm hosting is that I'm joined by Amy who's a speech and language therapist who has been hosting this wonderful podcast. So Amy's going to tell us a bit about her experience today. She is from Zimbabwe and she has worked there and has also done some work in the UK. So welcome, Amy. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be on the side of uh, the podcast for a change. Amazing. So I thought we'd just kick off by just kind of briefly, could you tell us a bit about speech and language therapy? What does that look like for you? How do you help the families that you work with? Yeah, well, speech and language therapy can be a bit deceptive in the name at times because um, we work with individuals of mm. all ages and quite a broad range of problems, really, uh, which affect their communication. So it can be their speech, such as stuttering. It could be their language, like understanding and using words and sentences correctly, or their communication, so how they interact with people, understand social cues and rules, and, and all of the cognitive processes which mm. are involved or support those. Um, and feeding and swallowing is also yeah. included in the speech and language field, but that is more of a specialised area. Um, and in terms of okay. what I work with, I um, have <laughs> uh, yeah, dabbled in uh, various fields, but at the moment I'm working mostly in schools. I uh, am dysphagia trained and so have some experience working in medical settings, uh, but more recently I'm focused mm. on schools and early year settings, which I really love. Um, and so I often work yeah. with children who have language or speech delays or who need support in their literacy acquisition. And yeah, mostly in the early years and primary school, which is so crucial for those skills. Yeah, great. That sounds amazing. Well done. <laughs> you do such a good job. So the dysphagia stuff is all the, the swallowing and um and that, the, feeding. the kind of medical aspect which you know about yeah. feeding absolutely okay yeah just so that people um <laughs> it's a bit of a, a tricky term yeah <laughs> so you're saying a lot of the stuff you do at the moment is with children and young people with language delays and disorders and I imagine that lots of people who are listening might have a variety of different you know times that they've seen these kind of delays or experienced different language disorders could you give us an insight into a, how a child who comes into your therapy room might be experiencing the world with with those kind of difficulties yeah for sure I mean I'll start by saying that there is a, really is a huge range and variety in the children we see with language delays and disorders so there's by no means a fast and hard mm. model for what this looks like for each child and each family is definitely unique as well um, but within that many of the mm. children I see um do experience similar sort of challenges. Um, so I often see when we talk about language, we we divide it sort of into two groups, which is the understanding of language and the use of language or expressing yourself. And, and difficulties in each of these areas, it, it presents with its own challenges. 
And so a child who comes into my therapy room with a difficulty in understanding language can often feel quite frustrated not understanding what's being said to them. They might feel constantly under pressure and quite anxious because of this. Um, you know, as people talk to them and they're not understanding, there's a lot of pressure to know what they're saying and to answer in that moment and that can be really um, you know anxiety provoking and quite pressured for them and some can often disengage or just in avoid interactions altogether because of that uh, and so I see a lot of mm. children you know they might vary in what they're understanding and what they're not understanding but they often are feeling these same things uh, and then children I see with difficulties yeah. expressing themselves also can feel incredibly frustrated at having something to say or, or wanting to be part of, you know, a conversation or an interaction and not being able to do that or to be understood or communicate that. And uh, I'm sure you probably have experienced this. I'm sure we've all experienced, you know, not being able to express ourselves or communicate something clearly or be understood at some point and that frustration that we feel yeah. is you know what what a child who who might have these difficulties um experiences and probably to a greater degree um so i i often see that um those are some of the the, the common things that children will experience and then often we also see that like language difficulties uh do cause increased emotional or behavioral outbursts or difficulties uh, and we know the yeah. research definitely shows that in schools a lot of the children um, who have difficulty with behavior or regulating their emotions and um, accessing and engaging with learning uh, might have underlying language difficulties actually uh, which are not always caught or identified um, but do really impact them um, not just in their academic sort of achievement, but in their being able to make friends, being able to regulate themselves or understand what they're feeling and manage their emotions. So it can have a really great effect on, on little kiddies, which um, yeah can be really difficult for them and for their families in dealing with that. Yeah, absolutely. And so can you maybe tell us a bit about what would you do if you were slightly off topic question, but um, what would you do if you were a parent or friend of a child who is maybe having some of those emotional difficulties or behavioural outbursts? You know, when in what situations would you recommend speech language therapy assessment or like what would you be looking at? So, for example, if I'm a, if I am working with a child who actually seems to be verbally very much able to to say what it is they want to say, is there still a possibility that they could have some kind of uh, speech language delay or disorder? Yeah, I mean. I think it is it is a difficult one because often parents do have an, an instinct about it or may have an instinct about their child is on track or if their child is struggling with something. But it can also be really difficult because there's so many voices that feed into our lives and, and a family's life. Uh, and I often see, you know, parents often say to me, oh, I think that he's struggling, but, you know, the with this um but my aunt says or but you know I have a friend who said oh no that child also didn't talk you know so and so didn't talk till they were five and they were fine and and so I know it can be difficult for parents mm -hmm. in reaching that um conclusion or in asking uh for help or asking for input uh or in you know making that decision that um to seek support or to you know explore that more um and I would say that yeah. um actually trusting your 
sort of gut about something is is really important and i and i often see parents sort of delaying that uh doing something or taking uh you know exploring it because um they've had conversations with various people and thought okay i'm i'm probably just being paranoid but actually parents have a really good mm. instinct about when their children are struggling with something um and and so i would encourage parents to sort of trust that that instinct uh, that they might have and so observing things i mean practically observing things like if a child um you know obviously if they are speaking you know later than their peers um uh for ch- for parents with uh, only one child or if it's their first child they might struggle more with this because it's hard to have a compa- well they might not have as um ready a comparison of looking at their two children or um and and comparing them um, but looking at the peers around them when they're at playgroup or when they're at nursery school, um, you know, what are the other children their sort of age um, staying and how are they interacting? Um, and I think that even if, you know, there's a lot of variety that it might be that that child says, you know, a full sentence and this child says a broken sentence. Or, uh, so there's variety in that. But you yeah. can often see if a child is struggling or getting frustrated. Um, or if they're often feeling left out or um, they can't join the conversation. For me, those would be some really crucial sort of um, flags to look out for if, if you know, children are playing at, at nursery school or in playgroups uh, and there's very much a few children speaking and one that sort of is wanting to be part of that or trying to speak um, and then maybe can't or is is a little bit excluded and then I often see that those children might get frustrated or they might just disengage completely and that for me would be a big um, red flag on let's do something because I, I really don't want children to disengage or to not feel part of the group um, so that might be something you know when they're playing or when they're interacting with other children what is what does that look like um, and are they maybe you know experiencing challenges with that um and then things like how what are they communicating to you and how are they doing that uh um when you are giving instructions are they able to do that some of the time all of the time you know what does that look like uh and I think those are useful things to talk to to people around you or other parents uh about and uh get an idea of is that maybe normal or is that, um, you know, if it's something you're worried about, having some consensus or some um, other opinions might be mm. useful. Yeah, completely. And and for those children who are experiencing those difficulties, I mean, we've kind of already touched on this. We, you were talking about frustration a bit earlier and I was thinking about situations where, for example, I've been in India and um you know, knowing a tiny bit of Hindi and knowing what I wanted to say um, to the family, but not actually being able to communicate what it was that I wanted to communicate. Um, yeah, I was I was just kind of reflecting on that really and thinking, gosh, that must be so challenging for the children who you see who particularly know what it is that they want to say and, and aren't able to see it. And it, you know, I know actually I do see that a lot in clinic where I see a lot of um, behavior in children because they can't express what it is that they would like to express yeah. what are your kind of top tips for supporting 
I mean, I, I know there'll probably be lots of top tips, but could you kind of hone in some top tips for us that might help children um, who have language delays or disorders? Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, there's a lot of things that are helpful. Um, some other ones that I've found make a, a real impact and are easiest to sort of do on a daily basis is um, to give children time. I, I think we often mm. speak really fast, um, but also when we are having conversations, we sort of put this pressure in a moment of, uh, of a conversation. And I think that pressure yeah. is felt by the children uh, that we're speaking to. And so when we ask a question or if we make a comment and it's their turn to respond, if they haven't understood what you've said or if they haven't understood all of what you've said, they are in a really pressure-filled situation where they're trying to make sense of what you're saying and then have to now think of an answer and then have to think about how they answer it, what words and sentences do they use to answer this. And that is quite a lot to do in a very, you know, in a pressurized situation where they need to answer now. And so I think practically for parents, giving time for a child to respond is can make a huge yeah. difference and not, not doing it in a way that's like, okay, I am waiting. I'm waiting. Come on. What are you going to say? Or take, but, but saying things yeah. like, you know, actually verbalizing it on, okay, oh, I like what you did there. What color did you choose? Um, take a moment or I'm, I'm here to listen. You know, you don't have to answer right away or there's no rush or um, take your time. Saying those sort of things normalizes that it's okay. We're not in a rush. You have the time and the space. I'm here listening to you. Because I think what can often happen is when we are uh, particularly with other children or in schools or in um, a family sort of situation, they, there's so, so many other people ready yeah. to jump into that conversation. And so unless we are specifically yes. crafting space for that child to answer and saying, I'm listening to you, next your brother can speak mm. or hold on, you know, brother or sister, um, we're listening for, you know, um, this child is going to answer and then it'll be your turn to speak unless we specifically give them that time and craft that space in the conversation for them they will often um, not contribute or be really frustrated where you know they didn't get a chance to answer because they couldn't quite put all of it together in that very quick moment um, so I would say giving time yeah. and creating space for them in the conversation can be a huge um and practical, you know, step for for parents to use. How would you explain that to teachers? So, for example, if you're a parent who's realised your child needs a bit more space, or maybe even to siblings, how would you explain to a sibling, you know, actually we do need to let your brother or sister have a bit more space to be able to express themselves when talking? Do you, you know, do you say it just like that? Or is there a way that you kind of try and help people to understand why that might be helpful? Yeah, I, I think with teachers and um, friends at school as well, it can be something that the teacher manages um, in that context and then something that parents can manage with siblings at home. And in the beginning, it, it can be really good to set in habits of, you know, if you're verbalising things like, okay, I will ask you in a minute, uh, but I'm at the moment waiting to hear from James or whoever it is, uh, but it'll be your turn to talk in a minute. Yeah. Those sort of things are really normal conversations. So it's not 
not that there's, you know, we're creating this false sort of atmosphere, but we are verbalizing and, and yeah. making a habit of saying, okay, I want to hear what you're going to say, but we're first going to hear this or, or I'll give you a minute to think about it while we hear, you know, from somebody else and then I'll come back to you. And, and that, in, you know, has given them their turn and their chance to be heard, but also given them some time to sort of formulate their answer or think about what they want to say. So those sorts of things and phrases are really useful. I've also found visuals to be mm-hmm. hugely helpful. And uh, so we, we talk about turn taking, which can be a, a key in the sort okay. of giving them space because they've got their turn to speak or their turn to, um, you know, be part of the conversation. And, you know, with some children, yeah. visuals are a really useful thing. So uh, I know I've, I've had one uh, or two parents who have like a talking stick, um, but for, for some parents who don't yeah. like that, <laughs> Even just having a photograph yeah. of, of the, you know, each uh, sibling at home uh, and, you know, if it's at the dinner table or if you're playing a game, uh, you can say, okay, it's, you know, so-and-so's turn to tell me about your day. Okay, now we're going to hear and then, you know, they have their picture or it's, you know, you, you hand them their picture and it's their turn. And now we're going to hear about uh, your sister's day and she's speaking and you give them that visual. So in that way, it, it is quite um it's not just the words that you're using, but there's that visual support, which for children who might not might have difficulties understanding language, that might be, uh, you know, the, the extra support they need to to frame that conversation. Um, and so I, I find that the visual supports, um, using those phrases and, and introducing turns, um, and I, I think in in games as well, parents can be really important in facilitating that at first uh, but as it becomes more habit forming you know I, I've found that siblings pick up on this really fast actually um, and even having a conversation okay. with them and saying okay you know your your brother or your sister sometimes takes them a little while longer to think about what they want to say but we do want to hear what they want to say don't we so you know maybe we can give them a little bit more time so that they you know they can also uh, be part of our game and part of our conversation. And I found even tackling it on head first like that, siblings really do respond to that. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And um, just for people who don't know, what is a talking stick or what could be used as a talking stick and how do you use that? <laughs> yes, it's not a mysterious object. It actually can be anything. <laughs> I am at at times in my uh, doing therapy um, in various situations, sometimes we have to do it on the spur of the moment or we don't necessarily have all the resources yeah. at hand. So sometimes I've used a ball. Sometimes I, I have a, a stick which is decorated with glitter and frills and things um, but most often I use a ball or yeah. a shell or uh, anything that I have on hand but as as you introduce and say okay yeah. this is the talking stick or whoever's holding this has a chance to speak because that way everybody gets a turn and we want to hear from everyone so it's more introducing that object as opposed to having a specific toy or, yeah. or object great thank you that's that's good to know just for anyone who was wondering and are there other tips then top tips and and things that you have uh, that particularly would support children who have these kind of difficulties yeah another big thing for me is reducing the questions and I know that this was spoken about with Abby but on that is also mm. giving choices um so I found that if it is really really difficult to completely take questions out of your day-to-day interactions in fact uh 
usually I struggle with it still and I've been doing it for a couple of years you don't realize actually when we're trying to get kids to talk we often try ask them a question Uh, and because questions put more pressure on that situation we try and reduce that but we can't always so there are times where you know do you want a peanut butter sandwich or an apple we do want to offer that opportunity for them to choose but how do you do that in a non-questioning way and that is to give choices so I think a really really helpful thing would be to offer choices to children and as often as we can um have a physical object or a picture uh, a visual picture or, or um, word if they can read really helps that but you know for you to be holding up a sandwich okay. and an apple and say which one do you want that question is yeah. much easier and and they are able to respond to that because they don't necessarily have to say peanut butter sandwich they could point to it or they could just look at the one they want so it doesn't require a lot from them it's easy for them to understand and we've given them that support but also given them a choice so they feel more in control of their life and we give them a bit more um agency really which is an important thing uh, you know things for kids especially if they might be feeling frustrated that they're not always heard or understood or can't express themselves so it, yeah. it can be practical, like having some pictures on hand of common things, food items or things that they liked. Which toy do you want to play with? Uh, and then I, I have a couple of their mm. favorite toys um, behind me or the toys that they might be wanting to play with behind me. And I say, which one? And then they choose. Or you could have pictures of their favorite toys or their favorite foods and going, which one would you like? And, you know, them choosing. So giving them a choice. And then, you know, as they can, as they develop, you can make the choices more complex or make, you know, ask them to say it if they can. But I think giving them choices rather than just asking a question, what do you want to eat? You know, it's more helpful for them. Yeah. And I've really seen that a lot in practice. Um, you know both working as an occupational therapist but I also worked in a care home for a bit for kids with initial needs and um I think you just see so much less frustration when you start to offer choice and start to offer things you know physically in objects and you see children you know who who sometimes people don't realize do they how much choice actually individuals mm. can make I've worked with some children with quite significant levels of disability but who are able to look at the object that they would like to play with or that they would like to you know interact with in that moment and I think yeah I think it's so important I think Mm. it can make a big difference and we all love it don't we we all love choice yeah um, it can really help us you know we feel more in control or we feel more able to um yeah to express ourselves Mm. and who we are and I think often it can be a way of of getting to know your child a bit more as well can't it and what they like and don't like and all those kind of things yeah for sure I think the other thing which is which I found to be I personally use a lot and I found to be really helpful particularly with children who are experiencing some frustration or who are uh, struggling a bit with managing their emotions um, or uh, being aware of what they're mm. feeling um, is using yeah. uh, some sort of emotional check-in. <laughs> uh, like yeah. I, I use zones of regulation a lot, but there's so many different scales and even just having uh, like emoji printouts, but using it often and saying, okay, what are we feeling? And giving language to those feelings and not just saying I'm feeling fine or happy or sad or angry, which I think we often fall into that trap of going, 
are you fine or you're not fine are you good or are you bad but actually all the emotions that we feel are natural like we in our lives feel different emotions and that is actually normal and natural and they might we might be feeling them more intensely or less intensely or at the wrong times or you know we might need to manage them better but I think we often get into this okay if you're feeling bad or angry or sad or those things that's bad Um, but we do want to give children the language to uh, explain what they're feeling so knowing okay I'm feeling tired or I'm feeling bored or I am feeling sad or, you know, I'm feeling excited, not just happy, sad, which I think we often fall into that sort of trap of going, how are you feeling? And they don't know the word to use Mm. necessarily. Um, And then talking about, okay, you're feeling bored. What's something that we can do? And then I think, uh, Naomi, this is probably where you would definitely come in going, okay, what do we do when we're feeling bored? We could do some jumping jacks or some movement break or, you know, some sort of regulating Mm -hmm. activities can, you know, that would be a really good time to sort of give them those tools to use. Um, And so they understand, okay, this is what I'm feeling. And this, when I feel this way, these are some of the things that I can do to help. But until we can sort of give them the language around saying, um, this is what I'm feeling and using visuals is really helpful in that. So uh, I have used emojis. If you print out different emojis and then they can point to, this is what I'm feeling or uh, there's zones of regulation. There's a lot of different resources, um, but just using those, that language uh, and modeling it for them, I think is really important. So, you know, yourself as a parent say, Oh, I'm feeling a bit tired. It's at the end of the day, or I'm feeling, um, really bored uh, that shows them yeah. you know a, a really good model of how to talk about it yeah completely and I think I mean that's such a good point Amy I think emotions are they are so important mm. one of the courses that we run with Growing Hope is a course called Circle of Security and it's attachment an attachment-based parenting course which is about enabling parents to develop secure attachments with their children but one of the massive things within that is looking at emotions and how we choose to be with our children and our emotions and that exact fact that you said that there are no emotions that are bad in fact actually psychologists talk about these seven kind of core emotions that we have which then break down to, to some of the other ones that you talked about so they talk about joy curiosity anger sadness fear shame and pride and being able to to recognize those emotions in ourselves not see them as wrong but be able to actually be with our child in, in those emotions so being with our child can involve reflecting that back to them in our in our body language in our you know actual words as well oh you're feeling really angry or you're feeling really sad and being able to actually be with our children in those Mm. moments helps them you know as well as with their regulation with their learning with their cognitive skills but helps them kind of on a on a psychological level and to know that they're that they're held and supported and safe and secure Mm. in their relationship with their parents and and we all love that don't mm. we you know if I say to you Amy I'm you know oh, I'm actually having a really tough day today and you say to me oh you'll be fine good. I, I don't feel very hurt <laughs> or supported um, you know whereas if you say oh like sorry that you're having a tough day that sounds really hard I'm much more likely to be to feel like I'm understood in that emotion mm. so I think 
yeah, such a brilliant tip. Mm. I really, really agree with you there. And before we finish here, unless you had anything else to add before we finish? Oh, no, that's good. That's good. Okay. Great. Okay. So before we finish, I know that when working with children and particularly children with additional needs, it can be a bit of a long road. There can be ups and downs. There can be times where we have feel like we're kind of repeating the same strategy over and over again and we don't always see the results. Um, for you as an individual and as a therapist, are there things that you do or tips that you have for parents as they walk this journey with their children? Yeah, I like writing down and keeping a bit of a journal an informal sort of journal on on my sort of therapy journey with a child because I think there are times where I'm going oh we're doing this over and over or you know we're, we're working on this goal and it can be quite repetitive and there can be moments where I'm like oh but if I've got a journal where I in those moments can read and be like oh actually this is where we started you know when when they when we began this journey um, they weren't able to do this or they needed so much support in doing this and that. And now actually, look, they have, they're able to do X, Y, and Z, or they're so much better at doing this with me. And sometimes it can be really small things like, oh my goodness, yeah. it's amazing. They're making eye contact with me in this activity. And, and that, you know, for some of my kids is really incredible. Mm. So keeping a journal yeah. or keeping sort of notes on, where we start and you know so noting down oh today you know they have uh, made eye contact and they invited me to play with them in this game which they wouldn't have done you know in the beginning of the at the beginning of the journey um I find those really useful because there are days yeah. when I'm like oh it's a long road or we're doing this over and over again and are we getting anywhere and we do get somewhere but sometimes it is just useful to sort of look back on where we've come and then it helps cultivate that hope of where we're going and, and that it is definitely possible. And also talking to the kiddies sometimes about it. The families are usually involved in that conversation of, oh, yes, and yesterday he did this. And um, But also the kiddies um, get really excited yeah. about things that they're working on that they, uh, you know, when they have successes. Uh, and that yeah. can be really exciting. And um, they're not always included in that conversation. Um, but it, they can really get excited about, oh, yesterday I, you know, threaded the strings uh, or threaded the beads on the string and I threaded seven of them. And normally, you know, we don't get that far or, you know, whatever it is that we, we might be using or working on. They, they do also get really excited on their successes. Uh, and I find that encourages me, yeah. <laughs> which is which is yeah. good. Completely. It's always such an encouragement, isn't it, to see and to celebrate with families and to mm. track that journey. Thank you. And then lastly, could you tell me, uh, we've heard, I think, a real range of things that uh, people have been doing in lockdown. We've heard little snippets of, of what it is that you've been doing. Um, but what what is your kind of main thing that you've been doing in lockdown to stay sane or to kind of keep yourself feeling regulated and able to keep going at this time? I think I um, have been baking quite a lot. I definitely hopped onto the banana bread right. uh, phase that everyone was into and I made some sourdough yeah. bread and lots of muffins and I Excellent. I mean it's a difficulty eating them all so I think my neighbours got quite a fair share of, of things that I had baked <laughs> and um, hopefully they um, Great. liked them but you know 
they might not speak to me again. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sure they were brilliant. It would have been great to be your neighbour in lockdown, receive all those brilliant goods. Well, Amy, thank you so much for sharing with us, for flipping the tables and (laughs) and telling us about your experience. I'm sure, you know, there are so many really helpful strategies there that will enable parents, carers and families just to know a bit more about how they can support their children who have language delays and disorders and all the other wisdom and insight that you shared with us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to the Growing Hope podcast. Find out more about Growing Hope or to sign up to our monthly newsletter, go to our website, growinghope.org.uk.